would actually lead us to run to you and to trust in you, to have saving, active faith um, in Christ as we meditate on what you've done and how you've dealt with us kindly. Um, would you be with us? Uh, would you help us this morning? Would you give me words that are um, edifying and upbuilding uh, for our church? So just pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to do uh, go over most of chapter 9, um, not all of it, but we're actually this morning we're going to start in verse 18, so I'm going to come back to the first half, don't worry, but let me just go with 18 to 28, I'm not really going to say that much, but I do want to just make a couple comments here, uh, just so um, that I think would be helpful, uh, and hopefully pastoral and helpful to you. So um, Let's go ahead and uh, start through 18 through 28. I'm not going to read it, but let me just quickly comment um, on the fact that uh, we see verse 21. Noah, this is is after the ark, we said that verse 20, he began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. So quick thing that I want to just point out is the sin of Noah, okay? Noah sinned. It shouldn't be a shocker to us, but we have to consider it because Genesis 6, 9 uh, tells us that he was a righteous man, blameless in this generation. And so what I want you to see is that righteous does not mean sinless. In Noah, when we think of his righteousness, there's much to be admired, there's much to be learned, but we have to recognize that Noah, like us, is not sinless. He's still guilty before God. And this will be important as we consider the rest. But I want you to see that all of the saints of God have committed sins against the holy God. And so the Christian life is marred by sin, even for the best and the greatest of saints that we look up to. So therefore, for us, we should recognize that. If Noah can sin, we should walk in fear as well. Just because you've had a good track record of not falling and of being faithful in a certain area does not mean that you will not fall. So live in fear, church. Now, what was his sin? Specifically, his sin, the sin of Noah, that God tells us about, at least, is that of drunkenness. Okay, Noah uh, indulged himself and became drunk. Now, quickly, this is just a word of caution, to flee from drunkenness. This is not my emphasis for this morning. This is not necessarily the emphasis of the passage. But it is worth considering, and it is worth for you to think about and to heed God's word if this is the warning for you. Think about it. If God did not spare Noah and shamed him before all of us, we see Noah's shame in display in God's word. If God did not spare Noah, how much worse will it be for those who continue to run to it? So let that not be said about you. So we see the sin of Noah, and then we see the sin of Ham, his son, Let's um, quickly keep reading. Verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on both of their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall, be, shall he be to his brothers. Okay, I'm not going to go into depth um, on the sin of Ham, but I just want to quickly be able to say that it is a very grievous sin to dishonor our parents. 
it is a very grievous sin to dishonor our parents. And so especially for those young ones here this morning, I want you to take this to heart. God wants you to honor your parents. And even for those of us who are adults, we still have parents, we still can find ways to honor them. Okay, this does not excuse, it. they're sinners too. Noah, he should have been shamed for this, and yet Ham did not handle this properly, did not honor his father as Shem and Japheth did. And so your parents' excuse is not a reason for you not to seek to honor them as it's proper. Okay, there are lasting consequences, as we'll see here, lasting consequences for dishonoring our parents. And there, there's also blessings that come when we actually seek to honor our parents. Okay, God's word actually is cohesive. We see the fifth commandment here. Honor your father and your mother. This comes with a blessing. Okay, verse 26, he says, no, keeps on talking. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Just right there, right? Sometimes we can just kind of skip over that. But there's so much right there that you could go into and dwell and meditate on. And if Josh wants to, you know, in a couple of weeks go through that, I'll let him do it and decide that he, that he deems it as helpful, then great. If not, then, we, you know, you can come ask later. Um, but I just want you to see there's so much of the Old Testament that just unfolds from this. So much of the Old Testament unfolds just from this prophecy. And so um, let's just stop there for now for what we see. So God continues to judge, even though we'll see that he's been kind to his people. So, as we now step back and look at the full story of Noah, we're going to do a big picture overview of Noah and how God saved them. I want you to consider that Noah and the flood is a picture of God's kindness and God's salvation. The emphasis of the flood, really, in the theme of Scripture, is not so much, I mean, it is, but it's not so much on the destruction of mankind, but rather on how God saved Noah and all of his creation. So let's pick up where we left off last, Genesis 8, and let's read 13 through 19. God's word reads, In the 600 year, 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. Again, Noah was still in the ark at this point. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Okay, let me just point out, it's amazing that Noah had the patience to wait on the Lord. He waited in the ark until God told him, Hey, it's okay for you to go out. Okay? Wouldn't you be ready to get out if you'd been there for that long? He waited for God. Let's keep reading. Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. So yes, God saved Noah from destruction. Yes, the flood is a picture that we should be fearful of God's wrath against sin and his judgment is the flood. But even in the background of it all, we have to remember that God was kind to mankind 
by preserving a man, preserving his remnant, and preserving Noah. So even in the midst of all of the destruction and all of the chaos and all the death that happened, we'll see here that Noah was still able to praise God for his goodness. And so we should do the same. Verse 20, that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. We'll touch on this just a little bit more. Um, but for now, let it suffice that God saw Noah's sacrifice. And verse 1 tells us, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God saw Noah's sacrifice, was pleased by it, and blessed Noah and his family. And so as we dive into chapter 9, again, the emphasis that I want you to see is just meditate on God's goodness and how God, really, Genesis 9 is a picture of how God generally deals with mankind. Genesis 9 tells us how God deals with people, his people and not his people. And then he tells us, we'll see, that God actually deals kindly to all people. He is good to all God is not just kind to those who obey him. He actually showers all mankind with goodness. And as we, you know, the term that sometimes you'll hear is common grace, right? Common grace is what you hear. We get this from Matthew 5.45. It says, um, God, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And so we'll meditate on God's goodness because God's covenant with all of creation to preserve them does not depend on their goodness, does not depend on what they have done. It depends only on God and the fact that He wants to be kind to His creation. So let's just see some quick examples of God's kindness as we walk through the passage. First, in verse 2, we'll see that God restrains the animals. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps in the ground and all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. Okay, imagine if God did not restrain the animals and they just had free reign to come and wolves come and just destroy us all whenever they wanted, this would be a pretty scary place. But God has actually put the fear of mankind into animals. That is God's kindness to you. Next time you hear of an animal, you know, killing a human, remember that God has been kind to you. Verse 3, we see that God gives us the earth for sustenance. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Okay? Righteous and wicked. Good man and bad man. All are able to enjoy and be blessed by earth, by the fruit of the earth. Okay? God has been kind to provide us what we need, the substance that we need, regardless of what we've done. God has been good to all. Thirdly, God gives us loss for our protection. Verses 5 and 6. And your lifeblood, I will require, for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Again, there's a lot 
even right there. But I just want you to see that God gives his people good laws. He writes them in their hearts. And I want you to see that everybody benefits from God's laws. God's laws are good and created to give good order. So whether you're good and you believe in God's laws or whether you're not, you do not believe that God's laws are good. They're actually for your benefit, and you actually get to benefit from the fact that God has set laws in our hearts to protect us. Fourthly, he gives the blessing of childbearing. And we see that in verse 1. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We see that in verse 7. Again, repeats it. Be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply. Do you get it? Do you get how much God just wants us to take this seriously? And this is a blessing. And again, both the wicked and the righteous get to enjoy the benefit, generally get to enjoy the benefit of being able to reproduce and have a family, have children. I'm not saying this specifically because we know that sin has marred us, but God has been kind to allow us to experience this. Marriages are gifts to us. Okay? Believe that your marriage is a gift to you. Your children are a gift to you. Let's keep going. Verse 9. We see that God promises not to destroy all of mankind because of his goodness. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark... It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. This is the covenant that God made with Noah and with his creation. And at the core, the promise, which again is just emphasized again from chapter 8, is a promise that he is not going to exterminate all of mankind with a flood by the waters. And I want you to see, this is not because we don't deserve to be exterminated, to be done away with, to be destroyed. We do deserve it. Okay? God does this because he is pleased to restrain himself. This is a covenant where he actually restrains himself and what he should do in order to bless mankind out of something that we don't deserve at all. See, God's kindness in this. Just the fact that you are here is a blessing from God. And not only that, not only does he promise it, he then gives a physical sign to go along with it. Verse 12, and God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Come back to that. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you, and every living, living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on earth. I want you to see this, okay? Parents, especially... Next time there's a rainbow, it's a really good opportunity just to meditate and teach your children, hey, the rainbow is a reminder that God has been dealt kindly with our family. And use this as an opportunity to recount the, way that you, the ways you can be thankful 
for God's blessings to you. Okay, let your children know, take as many opportunities as you can to remember God's goodness to you and to teach that to your children. And let even the rainbow be a reminder for you. So the rainbow is a sign for us. But even more than that, what I want you guys to really see here is that the rainbow isn't really primarily for us. God did not establish the rainbow for, it is for our good and for our benefit. It is a good reminder for us. But it's primarily for his reminder. It is for him to remember, okay? The emphasis throughout here, it says, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you. When I see the bow, it is God who will remember, God who will see it and remember the everlasting covenant. The emphasis here is that when we see the bow, God is remembering his promise to mankind that he will not destroy us all at once. And remember, this is the, the reason why God needs to remember is because we give him reasons every single day for us to be destroyed. If it wasn't for God being kind to say, I will not do this to you, we would all deserve to be like swept in a flood many times over and over again. We would deserve a daily flood. A daily flood would not be too much for God to do when he sees the human heart. Okay, we see that in chapter 8. We see that the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. From his youth. From his youth you've given God reason to destroy all of us. And so God remembers his covenant. Not because he sees you and your goodness. It doesn't depend on you, the fact that you're here, that God has been kind to keep mankind and sustain them. It only depends on God and the fact that he will not forget. Okay? He will remember. He will not forget. And that is what we, that is what we trust in. So our preservation depends not on us, but on God. So to all alike, and see, these are blessings and benefits that we all reap from. God has shown his goodness to all people. So whether you've been in church, you know, or you're listening and you, you have not been walking in the ways of God, you've rejected your Lord, God has been good to you. And that's amazing. We sing this and we say this all the time and I don't want this to fall on deaf ears. Our wickedness is so great, but yet God's goodness knows absolutely no end. And so church, think about this. And would you seek to be like your Savior and would you be able to just extend a little bit of kindness? I'm just going to stop here for a second and just encourage you and exhort you. Would you be kind to those, even those who are not kind to you in return? Why? Because God has been kind to you, and that is amazing. God has been shown kindness to those who do not deserve it, blessing upon blessing. And now you get to show that to the world, to those whom you love. Husbands, would you be tender towards your wives? Would you show affection and be kind to them, even when they fail and when they don't listen and when, you know, they're not doing the things exactly as they would want to do them? Would you just be kind and just be patient with them and love them as God has been kind to you? And wives, would you be kind to your husbands? Would you be kind when they're stubborn and when they just want their own way and they're trying to lead and they're doing it too uh, harshly, and they, you know, they have not the slightest idea of how to help you, would you just be kind to them and just extend a little bit of grace to them and say, as God has been kind to me, I will seek to be kind to you? Would you do that? God has been so kind to you. Now, you have so many reasons to be kind to others as well. Would you be kind to your coworkers, to your friends, to your fellow classmates? So, good, God is good to all. The thing is, we don't all respond to his goodness the same way, right? God has, gives us the sun, all of us the sun, 
We don't all praise him for it. God showers rain on us. Some of us give thanks to God. Some of us do not. Some of us will see God's blessings and praise God like Noah did, building the altar. And some of us will revile God and complain. Now, it is tempting for us to ask, as many have in the past, okay, if God blesses all people, is there any benefit to following after God? I mean, I see the, you know, the wicked prospering, right? It's what the psalmist says. It feels like an injustice, right? I'm tr- you might be here sitting and saying, I'm trying to do the things that God's called me to do, and yet God has not blessed me like this family member or that friend, and they're clearly not living in the ways of God. Is there any benefit? Is there any good that comes? Why does God continue to be so good to them and not good to me? Feels like an injustice. So this morning, I want you to see that while God is good to all, His goodness extends to all mankind regardless of what we've done. He does deal differently and shows special kindness to His people. Special grace to His people, to His own. And that grace can be seen even in this life. Okay, we do know that there's better to come for all of us, right? When we are with God and no more pain in heaven. But there's even grace that comes to us even in this life. Okay, believe that Luke 18 tells us this. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is not one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. And what he says, who will not receive many times more in this time in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Okay, yes, we have eternal life to look forward to. And again, that is the greatest gift we could give, we could get. But even in this life, we can receive blessings from God. And so I want you to see and just think about it for a second. All mankind experiences the goodness of God, but only God's people can experience them to their fullness. Okay, to their full extent, only God's people can see them. Again, the sun will rise on the wicked, that only the righteous can appreciate and actually see God's work in this and have their affections be moved towards God, which is the point of it all. The wicked will find pleasures in this life as they live for themselves. Remember, their enjoyment of it all is still limited. still limited. There's consequences to their actions. There's consequences to what they do. Grievous consequences, as we see with Ham. They have to deal with a guilty conscience. Something that I don't want you to take for granted. And if your conscience is not clean, take that before the Lord with your brothers and sisters. The blessing of a guilty conscience, of a clean conscience, is one that we cannot put words on. Other consequences, there's damage to body, to soul, to relationships, like families and friends when, they see, when people live for themselves. So the psalmist tells us that the wicked, their portion is in this life only. In this life only. That is the lot for those who do not trust in Christ. They will live, they will experience, you know, some pleasure, some comfort, and then they will die without ever experiencing lasting joy. The comfort of those who are not in Christ is in this life only. That is their only comfort, is in this life only. And I want you to think, what a pity that is. What a pity that is. Don't envy the wicked when they prosper. Because God's people can look to something better. God's people can actually look to God blessing them in this life and in the life to come. There's so much that is available to you. Don't find comforts. Christian, don't find comforts in the things of this world. It is not meant to satisfy you. God is meant to satisfy you and give you something better. Give you peace. Give you joy. 
regardless of your circumstances. The li this life is the comfort of the unrighteous, but that's not our reward. That is not what we're living for. We're not living for temporal things. We're living for eternal things that do not decay. Your hope is not in this life only. That's what 1 Corinthians tells us, right? If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. So don't live. This morning I want you to think, don't live as if your hope, your comfort, and your joy are found in the things of the world. If you're comparing yourself with other and just in the things of the world, you're too low. You're comparing things that are too low, too lowly for a Christian. Those are not the things that God has given for our sustenance and for our joy. And so don't live as the world does. Have hope. Have hope and a better reward. Live as a child of God, knowing that you're blessed when you obey and that it is better to pursue God in this life. And as you do, the cares of this world would just seem less and less significant. Okay, so that is what I want for you this morning. It is actually, there's great benefit in following after God today. And as you think of God's kindness, okay, another thing, what do you think? That elevates our responsibility to Him. That should elevate the way that we serve Him. And I want to illustrate this by you by just coming up with an example that hopefully will drive the point forward. So I'm going to, this is, you know, coming up with this person here. But let's pretend that we have, let's say that you are now in a new country. You, for some reason, you know, you were sent away, you had to flee, you had to, whatever happened. You're in a new country, and now you need to find a way to make a living. You need to survive. Now, the problem is, you know, you're used to sitting and talking with people, working on computers, you know, those are your skills. But now you're in a, you're in a place where your skills do not transfer over. Everything that you've learned in school is just like, well, that was useless. Well, a lot of us maybe feel like that today, too. But, um, but let's just, admit, for the sake of illustration, you're now where all of your skills will not qualify you for any job. Let's say you have to go become a fisherman somewhere, and that's your sustenance and your living. You're like, I've never caught a fish before. You're not qualified for any job. You find yourself saying, everybody else is competing for this, and I cannot beat anybody. I cannot find a job. I have no skills. I do not speak the language. Whatever that may be, nobody will hire you. There's just no way that you can actually sustain yourself. You need a job. You need to be able to live and eat. And you just cannot rely on what you know and who you are. So you are destined, right, to a sad death. You have absolutely no way to sustain yourself and your family. And as you're looking for work, all of a sudden, right, a man comes. He sees you. He sees your condition, your wicked condition. He sees that you just have absolutely nothing to bring, you know, to any man. You have nothing to contribute to them. And yet he sees you, right? And he loves you. And he pities you. Pities you. And he says, hey, why don't you come work for me? I will teach you. And he knows that even though you're going to come and work for him, you're still going to be a liability to him. He knows that you will never be able to do the job well. You're always going to fail. This is going to come at a cost for him, and yet he sees you, he loves you, and says, hey, I want to care for you. I want to provide for you. Here, come for me. Come work for me. This comes at a great cost to him. He could hire somebody else that would do the job much better than you. Now, let's say you're in this position, right? This man has been kind to you and gracious to you. How should you work unto him? With great zeal, right? You'd be so thankful 
that you have an opportunity to work and to provide, and to now you can do, you would do whatever you would want to be able to bless and thank this man who's been kind to you, right? You will make sure that you give 110% because this man had pity on you and saved you. The fact that this man has been kind to you now elevates your responsibility to him. You don't just work for some boss who hasn't done anything for you. You work for a boss who's been kind to you and has given of himself for you. And so, in the same way, it should be for us as we consider God's kindness. God has been good to you, not because of anything that you've done. And so, you should want to return that in praise and thanksgiving. When one fails to do that, that's what I want you to see, when one fails to do that, even in the background of all that God has done for you, we are more culpable. We are more culpable because we're squandering God's goodness to us. We're not just not doing what we're called to do. We're also squandering the fact that God has been kind to us. And so you're doubly guilty. When the wicked do not acknowledge God for what he's given them, they're just increasing, increasing, accumulating their guilt before God. So don't be like the world, church. Live. Live as people who have so much to live for. Live as people who are thankful for the blessings and the goodness of God. The fact that God has been good to you should change everything about how you live your life. And your life should not live, you should not live as unbelievers do. You have so much more, so much more hope. Be like Noah, build an altar and praise God, even when there's a lot that has been wrong. Now, some would stop here, right? Some would stop here and say, God's covenant with Noah teaches us about common grace and the common grace that abounds to all. But if we stopped here, I actually think we would err. We would err. We need to go further. Because God's covenant with Noah, God's saving of Noah, doesn't just teach us about common grace. It really teaches us about our saving grace, our special grace for those who are in Christ. The story of Noah's salvation points us to Christ and his salvation. And so we'll see again, Genesis 9 is how God deals with people. And we'll see God deals differently with the wicked and with the righteous, those who are his. It especially deals with the righteous, with those who are found in him, by giving us the greatest blessing, right? Eternal life. That is what we live for. That is what your soul needs. That's the only thing your soul needs. And so God saving Noah from judgment is actually a template of our eternal salvation church. As God saved Noah, so will God save his own. Let's look into this. How? Okay, how's you're saying these things as one. Can you prove them to me? Well, let me try, okay? How did God save Noah? Let's go back quickly, verse, uh, chapter 6. Just turn your Bible one page, probably. Uh, 6, 8. It says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. How did God save Noah? By grace. By grace. Because we're told that Noah found favor with God. And what is favor but not Grace. Okay, was this, now, was this because Noah merited God's favor? Was this because Noah was just so righteous that God said, I just have to find a way to be able to preserve this person because he's just doing everything right? No, we already saw Noah was not beyond sinning, right? In the beginning, we see that Noah was a sinner, just like you are. He did not earn God's righteousness by his works. This is a result of God's favor and grace. It was bestowed freely upon Noah. In fact, Noah would have been just like every other man 
who was living for himself, whose, whose intentions were wicked every day from the youth, he would have been just like those men who perished in the flood if it wasn't because God saw Noah and had grace upon him, showed him favor. The reason why Noah was able to live a life that was different and blameless in contrast with this wicked generation is because God's grace was upon him, God's preventing grace from, helping, from letting him live like the world. So God saves Noah by grace alone. How else does God save Noah? By trusting in his word, by his word alone. Okay, who did Noah listen to? Did Noah listen to his logic and to his intellect and say, ah, you know, God gave me this plans, but I think this would actually be better? Or, I mean, do I really need to build this ark when it doesn't really seem like it's that needed? Did Noah listen to the people around him who were living for themselves while Noah was working constantly on this ark that God told him to, live, to build? I mean, think about how foolish that would have looked to all the people. Imagine if I just started building an ark right outside the YMCA and then started collecting all the animals. Like, all of you would be like, this guy is weird. Did, God, did Noah listen to those people? No, he did not. Who did he listen to? He listened to God's word and God's word alone. What God told him to do, Noah listened to and he did that. Noah gave himself to listening and applying God's word alone. So by grace alone, by his word alone, by God's word alone, and through faith, God saves Noah through faith. Okay, Noah didn't just hear God's word, he actually believed it, and he acted upon it. He was sure that God's promises would come to pass. 6.22, just a few verses later, it says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Noah actually believed on God's word and acted. It's faith. That is faith. Now, if you don't believe me, then Noah exhibited faith, and that is what, how he was saved. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews 11. Turn with me to Hebrews 11. We learn more about Noah. In this passage, Hebrews eleven seven tells us, by faith, okay, very quickly, the point will be proven. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Okay, hear this, by faith. Even from the time of Noah, God saved his people by faith. And so an important question you have to wrestle, everyone will have to wrestle to at one point and ask is, how did God save Old Testament saints? Jesus wasn't yet, you know, there. Jesus wasn't yet crucified. How were the Old Testament saints saved? And the answer is they were saved in the same way that we are, through faith in Christ alone, by grace, by the grace of God, through faith in Christ now, they did not see Christ. They did not know Christ as we do. They did not have the full revelation that we do now. Now we look at God's word and we see the fullness of the revelation revealed in Jesus. They did not have all of that, but they could see, right, as dimly. You know, they could see the future of the promised Messiah coming. They knew that they were sinners. All of the Old Testament saints knew that they were sinners, that they needed to be saved and redeemed from their sins. And they didn't understand exactly maybe how specifically, but they knew that God would make a way. And they trusted and had faith in God's promises that a Savior and a Messiah would come. And that was Jesus, the one that we know now and we trust in. 
And so the Old Testament saints, we will be in heaven in paradise with the Old Testament saints. And how were they saved? By grace, through faith, alone, in Christ, because of Jesus. Jesus' imputed righteousness has been imputed unto them. His blood has been shed also for them because they trusted in him even before he came. And so Old Testament saints are saved as we are. It's not a surprise to us. Now, Genesis, as I told you from the beginning of the series, Genesis 1 through 11 is foundational to what we know about God, to our salvation, about who we are. And I want you to see that even from the first few chapters of the Bible, God lays the foundation for our salvation. And then he builds upon that. But the foundation for our salvation is put forth even from Noah. So just as the ark was the instrument for the salvation of all of life, Okay, now see this. Christ is the only hope of salvation for mankind. There's no other way to be saved. No man could have tried to swim through the flood and be, even live. You cannot do it on your own. Again, think about it again. The sacrifice that Noah offered, the altar where he sacrificed the animal, what does that make you think of? It should make you think of the greater sacrifice, the fact that the animal sacrifice couldn't actually atone for sins, but Jesus' sacrifice can the greater sacrifice that actually appeased God's wrath and judgment. And so, church, this morning, I call you, whether you're in Christ and you've been a Christian for a long time, whether you're not, for all of you, I want you to call you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins, to no longer walk for your own goodness and for your own pleasure, but to live for Him, to recognize that you have been saved, you've been given a gift and to not delay from actually walking in it any further. Acknowledge what Jesus did on the cross. He took the punishment that you deserve to pay. All of your sins have been dealt with on the cross. All of those evil intentions, God knows them. And so put your hope and trust in the fact that Jesus paid for the penalty for your sins. Believe in God's word. Trust in every word of it. That no man can find forgiveness and life and hope and joy if not in God's word. Believe it this morning, church. And some of us struggle, right? Some of us are weak, and our faith is not very strong. And we see our sin, and we think, well, how could God ever actually accept me? You know, if you knew what I had done, if you knew just how wicked of a sinner I was, like, God just wouldn't accept me. Noah was a great man. I mean, it says right here that Noah was righteous and blameless. Of course God accepted Noah's sacrifice. But this is what I want you to see. Noah's sacrifice brought the light to God, right? The pleasing aroma really brought the light to the Lord. And so he promised not to destroy mankind. Now, how much more? How much more will the sacrifice of Jesus accomplish? If the sacrifice of animals brought uh, pleasing, it, it pleased the Lord, and now we have a covenant that God made with mankind, how much more will the sacrifice of Jesus accomplish? And what has God promised in Christ? He has promised that he will save those, even if your faith is weak, that if you believe on him and you trust in him, you know, I cannot get to, I cannot get to saving faith on my own. I cannot do enough works to save myself. It does not depend on me. It depends on Christ. And even if your faith is weak and low this morning, even though faith weak, weak faith is enough to get you to salvation because you have a Savior who accomplished much for you. He promises that he will not lose any of his sheep. That even if you feel doubts, that God is there for you. That you can press on to God's promises. 
Because remember, your salvation does not depend on you. Just like the fact that you're here and not destroyed, it doesn't depend on you and what you've done. Your salvation does not depend on your work and the level and the greatness of your faith. Even a mustard seed of faith, Jesus says, can move mountains, right? And so, even a weak faith, even a little faith, even a young faith, is enough for God to be able to see his son standing in your place when you see that it is not about me. It is Christ who's, who's done this for me. It depends fully on God. And so if God is this morning softening your heart and have, helping you turn to himself, don't, res, don't, don't delay any longer. Okay, don't restrain the work of the Holy Spirit and actually give your life to him. Trust in Christ's perfect, finished work. Again, God accepted Noah's animal sacrifice. Okay, earlier we see that God accepted Abel's animal sacrifice, sheep offering. And remember, sheep and goats and animals, they're not enough to atone for sins. That's what we're told later. They're not enough. And yet, God in his kindness accepted them. Now, will God not accept your sacrifice? Will God not accept your sacrifice? Loved ones, he will. He will because what is your sacrifice? The sacrifice has been given for you. Sacrifice has been given for you as Christ has given his life on your behalf. And so don't let your faith, when it feels weak, be tempted to despair because you have a Savior who will always be accepted in the eyes of God. And when you think God could never accept me, remember, he will always accept his Son, Jesus Christ, with joy. And therefore, because you are his and Jesus is standing in your place, God welcomes you with open arms. This is a wonderful thing. Your Heavenly Father has been kind to you. He will not turn you away. So, we see, right, Noah's salvation is a template for our salvation. By grace alone, through faith alone, believing in God's word alone, and most importantly, in Christ alone. Without Christ, there is no salvation of sins. And so what? Okay, if you're following, live for God's glory alone. Live for God's glory alone. If you have not humbled yourself and trusted in Christ, don't delay. Okay, young ones especially. If you're here and you have not trusted in Jesus and you still want to be able to earn your own salvation and say, I still want to say that I am good enough, don't be like the men who did not listen to Noah for 120 years, building the ark, preaching righteousness to them, and did not heed his words. Do not be like those men. Don't be like Ham, okay? Ham actually experienced God's goodness and saving in the ark and yet forsook the Lord. He tasted that goodness and forsook the Lord. Okay, you can be here at church every Sunday and hear these things and your life can still be unaffected. Don't let that be said about you. Humble yourself and trust in Jesus. It is him and him alone that you can be saved. And for all of us, give glory to God alone, right? Let your lives be a template for the fact that you, a template and for others to be able to see that you do not live for yourself, but you live for the one who's given everything for you. That he's been good to you and kind to you and has given you the gift of salvation. And now that changes everything about how and why you live and work and live and act. And so, church, I just want you to think, this is simple. You have a lot of reasons to be thankful. You have so many reasons to be thankful. And so act like thankful people. Thank God. Praise God. Return to God everything in Thanksgiving, even in difficult seasons. And then we acknowledge this will be harder for some. This will be harder for some. This will be harder for some than others. This will be harder. Some seasons, it will be easier to give glory to God. 
Okay, and even in good seasons, don't forget who is the God who's actually blessed you. Okay, but there are still seasons where things are hard, and it is hard to see God's goodness. Okay, suffice it to say that God deals with even his saints differently. Even the lot of God's people will be differently. We see that, right? Enoch and Noah, both men who God's word says they both walked with God. Right? They both walked with God. We don't know a lot about Enoch, but we do know that God just took Enoch. said, you know, you're not going to taste and see death. I'm going to take you with me. And then you have Noah, who also walked with God. And guess what? Noah actually allowed him to see a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, the destruction of all of mankind. Their trials and their sufferings were very, very different. God took Enoch with him and let Noah go through years and years of trials and loss. Okay, think about how, how much Noah lost. And yet, in the differences of how God even deals with his people, both, in both of those cases, God gets all of the glory. Both are pleasing to him. So what is your lot? What is your lot? Maybe you're dealing with loss, with lack, with sickness. When you do, look to your fathers in the faith, right? Noah lost everything. His job, his possessions, everything except his family. And he could praise God even after the world, even after the most devastating disaster in all of history, Noah could find reasons to praise God. Look to your heavenly father, right? Look to Christ, to Jesus. He suffered in his body. He lost fellowship with the father. He did all of that in love for you. So maybe you say, maybe your trial even this morning is just, you know, as simple as you have a spouse that's very difficult to love. Maybe that is your biggest trial and you're thinking, this is the thing. If only God would change this. Maybe a spouse that is very difficult to love. Or maybe you feel very overwhelmed with your children. Maybe God is, you know, giving you these children and now it's just really hard to be patient and you feel the responsibility of raising them and now you have more than you did before and, you know, you thought maybe you were going to have one and now you have two, three, five, seven and now it's like this is too much for me and I don't know how I can do this. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that God has been good to you and that marriage and children are both wonderful blessings. I don't want to get away from this. Chapter 9 of Genesis reminds us, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Marriage and children are a great blessing from the Lord. There are reasons to be thankful. If you're not thankful for your marriage, again, you're being more accountable to God for squandering his goodness to you. I know that your spouse is not perfect. I know that your spouse sins. I know that he or she has not given you reasons to love them, but you have not given reasons God to love you, and God has loved you. Would you show kindness to your spouses? Would you show kindness to your children? God is patient with us. He should destroy us. He should bring another flood, and yet he's patient. He remembers his goodness to you and says, I will not destroy mankind. I will be patient with them. He was patient with those men for 120 years when he knew he was going to destroy them. He's patient with us today. I mean, think of the wickedness of our day today. You just have to get on social media for just a little bit just to see the wickedness of this world, and you think, God, you would be very righteous to destroy us all. And yet he does not. God has been so patient with the world. But even more amazing, if you know your heart, the more amazing fact is that God has been patient with you. In your sins, in your failings, with all that you know. Church, you know a lot more than the world does. 
and you still squander and you do not live as you should. And so you are accountable to those things. And when you see how much you fail, you should feel the weight of the fact that God has been so, so, so patient with me. I've heard these things over and over and I still do not live accordingly. Think of God's patience and be kind and be patient to your children, to your spouses, to your loved ones, to your family. God's kindness should result in you loving others even when they're not kind to you. And so live, church, in a way that shows that you believe it and you serve a good God and that you serve and you're thankful for the ways in which he's blessed you. Let's pray. Most Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful uh, as we consider the ways in which you bless us. Lord, you bless us with uh, temporal and earthly things, and you bless us with great things. You bless us with uh, salvation. And we, you bless us with the fact that we can know and grow in our knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, uh, Father, may we as a church be people who um, actually take seriously your salvation and actually live that the gospel would uh, make a difference in our lives and that we would be different from the world and that we're thankful, that we have reasons to rejoice, that even in our trials and our sickness and our lot, uh, Lord, that you've been good to us. And so we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the ways in which you paid for our sins. And I ask that you be, continue to be gracious to our church. In Jesus' name, amen.